<clears throat> over the last few weeks, we've been looking at different apostles. We've looked at Peter. We've looked at Andrew, James, John, Nathaniel, Philip. And tonight we're going to look at Matthew. Matthew's name means a gift of God. He was also called Levi according to Luke chapter 5 and verse 27, which was just read for us. His father's name was Alphaeus according to Mark chapter 2 and verse 14. I would imagine that his father was a godly man since he named him also Levi. He was a publican or a tax collector by profession, and he was probably well-educated considering that he was a tax collector, but he was probably the most educated of the twelve that we see that have been called. He had to have knowledge with the job that he had of Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic and Latin so that he could accomplish the work that he was doing as a tax collector. The Gospel of Matthew is most directed to the Jewish customs and things that they did and the things that they needed to hear. He quotes the Old Testament 65 times and he refers to Jesus as the Son of David eight times. When we look at his life, we see that he was called to be a disciple, but he was not a disciple of John the Baptist like some of the others were. As we see there in verse 27 and 28, it says, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. A tax collector or a publican, he got this job, most, most got this job by paying the right person the highest fee. And he was given a quota by the Roman Empire of what he needed to collect. And anything over and above what he collected for the empire, he was able to keep for himself. So you can imagine that the tax collectors did not have a good reputation because quite often they would fill their own pockets and they were very wealthy. Uh, because they would charge more than what they were needed or what was needed by the empire. But we can thank him uh, for what he did, for how he lived his life, that he was willing to surrender it all and pass it up, let go of it in order to follow Jesus. But when we look at a tax collector at that time, it would be what we would consider the, the bad people or the bad company of this world. He would be associated with the, or in the category of a prostitute, a drug dealer, a gambler, a criminal, many titles or terms that you could use, but none of us would want to be in that category. But a tax collector was. As a Jew, he would not be allowed to testify in court because he was a tax collector. He was not wanted or he was unwanted in the synagogue. He was considered a traitor by his own people because of what he chose as his profession. He was hated by the Romans and he was hated by the Jews. <clears throat> Matthew is his, is his own gospel ranked the publicans with the harlots. Or in his own gospel, he ranked up publicans, the tax collectors, with harlots and sinners. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 27. 
And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So Matthew understood what that term meant. That if someone did not change their ways in that context that it's talking about there, go into this individual with your problem that he's trespassed against you in some way. And then if he doesn't hear you, you take two or three witnesses. And then if it doesn't hear that, you take it to the church. And then this is a conclusion that he's to be treated like a heathen or a publican if he doesn't change. In other words, he's to be treated as an outcast. Because he needed to change his ways. But he goes on in chapter 21 and verse 31 through 33. And whether of them twain will do the will of his father, they say unto him, The first, Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye have seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. Here another parable. There is a certain householder who planted a vineyard and hedged it around about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it let it out to the husbandmen and went into a far country. There Jesus once again is talking about harlots and 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 publicans when they don't when people don't believe they're worse than they are because these individuals that he's talking about the Pharisees the Sadducees those that knew the Bible or should have known the Bible should have accepted Jesus for who He was. But there were many in Jesus' day that rejected Him. And He reminds them that even those that were sinful, some that were what we might consider the scum of the earth, were still willing to change and accept Jesus. And obviously Matthew was one of those individuals. He was named Levi. The tribe of Levi, as we know, provided Israel with priests. And that was his name. It was common for people back in those days to have two names. We know Peter was also called Simon. We also know that he was Cephas, but we also know Paul was referred to as Saul when he was first introduced to us in the Scripture. <clears throat> the place where his toll was was in Capernaum, according to Mark chapter 2, and <clears throat> verse 1. And Jesus told, told Matthew to follow him. And I believe, and I think we all realize, that there's a good reason to follow Jesus. That's the call that we put out today to people. They need to follow Jesus. And you may say, follow me, like Paul said, follow me, as I follow Christ. And so if you want to lead people to Christ, you have to be going in that direction yourself. But there's good reason to follow Jesus, because in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. So if Jesus is the way, if He is the truth, if He is the life, then why would we not want to follow Him? Because we know that He is the the way to God. And if we follow Him, we'll be there someday. We'll have heaven as our home. And so any intelligent person that reads those comments and has faith in those comments is going to obey those things that the Bible teaches us that we must do in order to follow Christ. And so we see that Matthew forsook all. He was rich. Scripture shows us that he had his own house. And that house was large enough to hold a banquet to honor Jesus. 
And from Matthew, we learn some important things. We learn that true discipleship includes following Jesus. You can't be a follower, a disciple of Christ without following Him. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, it tells us, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His footsteps. We sing a song, Footsteps of Jesus. If we follow Jesus, where do you think that's going to lead? It's going to lead us to a place that we want to go. The problem with people today quite often is that we don't want to make that sacrifice. We don't want to give up self in order to follow Jesus. Because it demands something out of us. Oh, we like the thought of heaven, and everybody we know is going to heaven, but the Scripture shows us that not everyone that thinks they're going to heaven is really going to go there. And so we need to follow Jesus. Why? Because He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We also learn from Matthew that a true disciple forsakes all. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 20 and 22, it says, The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up, and what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Think about that. We look at this individual, this young man, we refer to as a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and wanted to know what he needed to do. And when you listen to the context of what is said and what's stated, this young man sounds like a good person. He did a lot of good things. But he had a problem. Remember all the lessons and things that we've said in our lessons and sermons about stuff and possessions and riches do not bring happiness. They do not bring that peace that passeth all understanding. It doesn't bring joy into our hearts. We talk about people that are miserable that have everything. They could go anywhere they want to go, do whatever they wanted to do, buy whatever they wanted. But yet they still are absent of the peace that passeth all understanding. This young man realized that there was something that he lacked. There was something. And Jesus told him what it was. That his heart was so wrapped up in those possessions that it wasn't wrapped up in God. And he needed to let go of those things. I often wonder how many of us Jesus would say the same thing to Oh, we don't talk about the stuff that we have and we don't think that it possesses us. But what would happen if we lost it all? What would happen if it was jeopardized in some way? Would we still have faith in God? Would we still trust Him? Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. It says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Peter wanted to know what they were going to have, what they were going to get. Brethren, we may not have physical blessings because we're a Christian, but the spiritual blessings far outweigh the physical things that we could possess. Knowing that we have God as our Father, that He's watching over us, 
For one, we don't have to seek revenge. We can leave that to God because He'll take care of it and He'll take care of it in the right way. So those that do us harm, we can leave that to God to take care of. It's like having the ultimate big brother who's going to protect you. And He may not do something here in this world or in this life, but on the judgment day, people's going to pay for what they've done to His people. And we see in the Old Testament where people that were God's people were sometimes abused, uh, killed, had terrible things happen to them. You see where God always remembers what those nations did to His people. And it was Him that got the revenge. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. <clears throat> yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb, that I might win Christ. When I think of that verse that I mentioned in my sermon this morning, <clears throat> that when Paul stated that the love of Christ constraineth us. That's the love of Christ that compelled them to do what they did. And when you just think of that Scripture alone, I think a lot of these other passages make a whole lot more sense. That when He considered the love of Christ, it didn't matter what He lost in this world. It didn't matter if He lost His freedom. It didn't matter if He lost His possession. Because to have Christ was the ultimate of living this life. Do we have that attitude? We also see Matthew laid up his treasure or laid his treasures down that he might lay them up in heaven. In Matthew chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, beginning of verse nineteen Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's our heart? Jesus makes it very simple. One of the amazing things about the Sermon on the Mount, He covers so many topics in just so few words, but His points are strong. And at the conclusion, it says people were astonished at His teaching. Why? Because He spoke as one that had authority. He knew what He was talking about. And so He tells us, the important thing is to lay out treasures in heaven. You might have all the possessions of this world, and you see people that have those things and are constantly concerned about them. Afraid somebody's going to steal them or break in, or they're going to rot away, or something's going to happen to them. Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Concern yourself with laying up treasures in heaven. When we're looking at heavenly bank, how rich are we? How rich are we as an individual? We also realize from Matthew his love for Jesus. Luke chapter 5 and verse 29, it says, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. 
Well, to ask yourself, why did Matthew have this feast? <clears throat> I believe that it was a celebration. He had a new relationship with Jesus. And it was an opportunity or an occasion for great joy. We read in the New Testament when people obeyed the Gospel that they rejoiced. There were about 3,000 that were baptized into Christ on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 38, it says, And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In verse 41, it goes on, And they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then in verse 46 and 47, it says, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They were happy. They had something to be happy about. They had a joy. They had a reason to rejoice. And that was the simple fact that they had been saved. <clears throat> Do we remember that day that we obeyed the Gospel? Was there joy in our heart? Joy in our life? Do we want to go out and tell others about it? Do we want to share that good news with someone else only to, over the course of time, lose that zeal, that enthusiasm that we once had? They rejoice on that occasion. The Ethiopian eunuch, the Philippian jailer, they rejoice also after their conversion. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way <clears throat> rejoicing. The jailer in Luke, or Acts chapter 16, and verse 34, And when they brought him into his house, he sat meet before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Salvation brings joy to our lives. Why? Because we can look at our lives and we see that we're not worthy of salvation, but God says we are. And He cared enough about you and He cared enough about me and He cared enough about everybody on this, in this world <clears throat> to send His Son to die on a cross for you and me. We should be able to understand why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, that we are to rejoice evermore. At this feast that Matthew had prepared, I believe that it was his farewell to his friends and his old way of life. It was his way of telling his friends that he was going to follow and to serve the Messiah. It was his way of making a clean break from the world. And brethren, we need to make a clean break from the world when we obey the Gospel. All those who become Christians need to realize that we're separated from the world. We've been set apart through the blood or by the blood of Jesus Christ. That should bring joy to our heart to know that there's something different that's taken place when we've gone down in that water and we come up out of that water. It's a picture that we see in Romans chapter 6. 
And John taught in Matthew, John the Baptist taught in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8 to bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. So when we <clears throat> obey the gospel, when we become a Christian, our life should change. It's not just an insurance policy that we use it if we need it. There should be a change in our life because we're following Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, He's not going to take us into places that we shouldn't go. He's not going to lead us into things that we shouldn't do. He's going to lead us to the Father. And as we look at His life, we see that some of the things that God asked Him to do were very tough, hard. <clears throat> we see His agony in the garden as He prayed that if there were some other way, let it be done. But we see that when he received the answer that he went about his father's business, not murmuring, not complaining, but willingly went to that cross for you and me. Can you imagine being on death row and the executioner comes in and they're about ready to throw the switch <clears throat> or do the injection or shoot the bullet and somebody steps forward and says, I'm willing to take their place. How much respect and love would you have for that individual? Think about it. That's what Jesus did for us. Because we deserved to die for our sins. Not Jesus. <clears throat> but He did. And so God expects us to change our life when we become a child of His. In fact, <clears throat> John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, "...love not the world, neither the things that are in the world." If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. <clears throat> but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Again, the Scripture shows us that all this stuff that people look at and they want and they have a desire for, and many times will sacrifice their soul, sell their soul for those things, are just temporal. That the things that last are the things that God has given us, the spiritual blessings. Those are eternal. <clears throat> this world is going to be destroyed. Yes, we get up day after day after day after day after day after day. And we just assume that we're going to continue to get up day after day after day after day. But someday, it's going to come to an end. Someday, the sun's not going to come up. Someday, the world isn't going to continue to turn and revolve around the sun. Someday, the Lord's going to return. And this earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. When we go to a cemetery, we don't take anything with us. It all stays behind. That should tell us what's important in this life. And I believe that Matthew understood that. And at this dinner, at this banquet that he prepared, it was his way of introducing Jesus Christ to his friends. Like Andrew and Philip, he desired to share Christ that he had just found, as we read in John chapter 1, verses 41 through 47. 
Philip went and got Nathaniel. Andrew went and got Peter. Isn't that really what we want to do? Go and get others. Invite them to come and see what the Scripture teaches. What they need to do. What they need to hear in order to be saved. And I believe that that was Matthew's goal or desire. To introduce his friends to someone that could change their life. Matthew's call reveals that Jesus is the great physician. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30 through 32, it says, But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against, murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I don't know if Matthew heard that answer, but we hear that answer. And that should tell us something. That Jesus didn't come to save those that were perfect. He didn't come to save those that think they're perfect. He came to save everyone from the best sinner to the worst sinner. Now, I don't know what a best sinner is because any sin separates us from God. But that just shows us no matter how vile society may think that we are, Jesus still sees a soul that needs to be saved. And that's what we need to see. We need to look at the souls that people have. It's interesting to notice that Matthew's call is in the midst of Jesus healing miracles. We know in Luke chapter 5, we can see at the beginning of that where Peter had fished all night and Jesus told him to cast his nets back out and there was a miracle of a catch. We also can read further down and we can see where there was a man that was full of leprosy that Jesus healed. And then we also see in the next few verses where the man that had palsy couldn't get to Jesus and so they opened up the roof and they lowered him down and Jesus healed him and forgave him his sin. And perhaps Matthew and Luke are suggesting that in a way Matthew's conversion was a miracle in a sense that it was when you think about it of what he was and then what he became. It doesn't defy the laws of nature. But sometimes we use that word loosely. When we talk about it's a miracle. Sometimes we look at people and we see the change that they make in their life and we're shocked. And it is like a miracle. And Matthew changed went from the despised of society to a man called by Jesus Christ to take the Gospel to the world. Clement of Alexandria says that Matthew spent 15 years preaching to the Jews in Palestine and abroad. <clears throat> also read where he spent time in Ethiopia, Macedonia, Syria, and Persia. Tradition or legend or history tells us that he was slain with a sword in Ethiopia 
or Egypt. That his remains are supposedly in Salerno, Italy. Whether any of that part's true or not, I don't know. What I do know is that Matthew shows us what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to follow Him. See, we too, like Matthew, must heed the call of discipleship. Jesus is a great physician who can heal our sin-sick souls. And when people say he can never forgive me, I always take them to Paul, who persecuted his own or God's people, and show how how God was willing to forgive them or him, and how Jesus called him out of season and told him to go into the city, and there he'd be told what he must do. And even against the opposition of those that had heard about Saul, they went anyways, and we see. When he's told, Why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? That that's what he did. And then immediately you see a change in his life. Where he went about preaching and teaching. Oh, there were still those that were skeptical. But he did what he was supposed to do. And so Jesus is that great physician. And He can heal our sin-sick soul no matter how sin-sick we are. Matthew's discipleship offers help for all people. And we must show our lives for Jesus by introducing others to Him. Think about the people that you care about. Family, friends, neighbors, people you work with. Have you taken the time to let them see Christ living in you. Maybe that alone will generate questions that will allow you to tell them why there's something different about the life that you live. Jesus came so that we could have eternal life. And we have that eternal life when we're obedient to His will. <clears throat> to get on that road that leads to heaven, we must do what Jesus said do. And that is to believe and be baptized. We have to believe that He is the Son of God. We must be buried with our Lord in baptism. But before that and in between that belief, we have to repent, turn away from our sins, confess the name of Christ, and then we can be buried with our Lord in baptism to have our sins washed away by the blood of Christ. I mentioned in class this Sunday, and I believe last Sunday, about the simplicity of the Gospel. So simple Go down in the water and come up out of the water. Do it for the right reason. And you have your sins forgiven. But yet people try to make that complicated. Just take Jesus at His Word. When He says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, trust Him. Just do what He says. It's that simple. And then He tells us to live faithful. And we need to be faithful to Him. So if you're not doing that tonight, you need to change your life and make it right. So tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.